Hello, everyone, and welcome to Grip Lock Foundation Disc Golf Weekly Podcast. I'm Hunter, joined as always by Trevor. Connor's out of town today on a little ski trip. Probably going to come back with a broken arm or something. Who knows? But he's at the Olympics. Oh yeah, that's right. Actually, he went to Beijing. Uh, that's you where he's skiing. Him, you can catch him on the ski and high jump. <laughs> he just thought it looked so easy. Did he you went know and got there, there was ski ballet. Yeah, I saw I, that on did TikTok. You see that? Yeah, awesome. It, it was, was awesome. incredible. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing getting rid of that, but. <laughs> Before we get into today's show, let's take a moment to hear from our sponsors. All right, today's episode brought to you by Manscaped. Exciting news across from our friends at Manscaped. They just launched their fourth generation performance package. This ultimate package includes their Lawnmower 4.0. The Manscaped leaders in male grooming have done it again to make your grooming game to the next level. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with their new performance package 4.0 by going to manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping with the code GRIPLOCKED. That's one word, GRIPLOCKED. Uh, the performance package 4.0 by Manscaped has arrived and it is worth the wait. Inside this package, you'll find their lawnmower 4.0, weed whacker, ears and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver, ball deodorant, crop reviver, toner, performance boxer briefs. I'm actually wearing those today. And a travel bag to hold all of your goodies. Uh, unbelievable. The lawnmower 4.0 is probably the greatest ball and body hair trimmer ever. Uh, it features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. It's a 7,000 RPM motor, multifunction on-off switch that can engage a travel lock, which is very useful, and it gives the ability to turn on a 4,000K LED spotlight on and off, which uh, is needed for more precise shaving. Oh, and did I mention it's waterproof too? You thought that was good, but want to take your grooming game even further to the next level? The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker to chop your worst weeds up top in your nose and ear. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and uses a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology which helps present nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. One thing that we actually haven't talked about in this ad read, which we've been doing for a long time now, Manscaped's a longtime uh, supporter of the show, so huge thanks to them for that, but one thing we haven't talked about too much is their deodorant, which I got over the weekend, came in actually. Mm. Um, I've been using their deodorant. It smells exactly like their cologne, body wash, and shampoo, so you're just, it's a perfect like scent match. There's no scent mixing around here. Exactly, so you don't have to worry. Like before, I was using like three different scents from like lost. three different uh, companies at the same time. It was awful. You know, you, one time you smell like a Fiji blast and then the next day you smell like a freaking Phoenix riding from the ashes. But now I just <laughs> smell yeah. like manly every man. day, all the time. Heck so, yeah. you know, if you or a man in your life want to have the same thing go on and increase your confidence, uh, get 20% off of free shipping with the code griplocked at manscaped.com. That's 20% off of free shipping with the code one word griplocked at manscaped.com. You've been through enough this past year. Treat yourself with the best tools for the job from Manscaped. All right, first thing on the docket today, uh, we got to talk about Friday. The official, the first, I guess I should say, team foundation announcement happened. Uh, I know that our listeners have been waiting a long time. I saw a lot of people actually surprised. They did not expect who we announced. Uh, Very stoked to welcome Mason Ford and Valerie Mandejano to our team um, really believe they're both going to have incredible seasons this year. Like I've said multiple times, I think Valerie Mandahano is probably one of the most underrated uh, FPO players out there. She's on the brink of a breakout season. They're both representing DD this year. And so we'll have some, uh, you actually can find it on our site right now. We have some yeah. custom stamped uh, evaders, Mavericks, all kinds of stuff um, for both of them. And then some sick hoodies and hats and all that stuff. You can pick up to represent them on and off the course. Um, but yeah, we're super stoked to have them. And Mason, I think he speaks for himself. National tour win last year. I expect yeah. uh, we're going to see probably a pretty incredible season from him as well. I think he can kind of push to that top 15, top 10 uh, in the world, um, which he might already be there depending on the ranking you look at. But we'll talk about that here in a second. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so super stoked to welcome both of them. We have one more announcement coming this week with another player. Uh, this The next player is a bit of an up-and-comer. Uh, some people who listen in probably don't know his name, but, uh, if we're right, you will know his name soon. So, well, you actually will because we'll say it. So, (laughs) (laughs) gotcha. Catch 22. Uh, we can't lose there, but yeah, super excited to welcome Mason and Val. And like I said, you can head over to our website. It's a, they're all in the new release section. You'll see it front and center. If you want to check out, uh, their merch and stuff like that and, uh, represent them on and off the course. And we're stoked to have them representing us throughout the year as well. Absolutely. Uh, Another thing that came out this past weekend is the PDGA updated, uh, we'll call it the world rankings, but it's essentially the world ranking system. Yeah. But for right now, until things fully open up, they're starting with just a U.S. tour ranking. 
Then as the European tour starts, they'll have a European ranking until travel fully opens up and then they can use these same metrics for a world ranking. So basically they didn't want to do like a world ranking without the Europeans being able to be over here or the Americans being able to go over there. Makes sense. Um, it's a, well, right now they can. It's just there's yeah. more hoops to jump through. Right, so right. once it becomes a more common thing that people are going both ways, then they'll have a world ranking. Um, and, you know, it, it's a good start. It missed a little bit. Uh, but the main thing before we talk about too much with it, because I think we'll we'll go we'll compare it to you just what we currently have in the PDJ. We'll compare the pros and cons of those, and we'll also look at kind of what one pretty obvious change I think they could have made is. Uh, but we might disagree on it. But the main thing to start with that I really like with this over the UDISC world rankings is just the ease of understanding how a player gets to where they're at. Right. Because the UDISC ranking, it seems legit. Right. It, it, yeah. It's it, and it's pretty. It seems to be pretty accurate. Yeah. So it's just that it's like, hard to understand. They how. just have the uh, whatever they call it, the Elo rating, but I forget, they call it something. Um, doesn't matter. But they have like arbitrary number assigned to the player, yeah. dominance factor or something. That's right. And it's as just a fan watching, it's hard to understand that number. Uh, for, whereas for the PDGA, it's just they rank them based on. Yeah. Uh, they have last year's ranking includes the your finish at Worlds. Your finish at USDGC, your average elite series finish, your amount of wins, your amount of podiums, and your amount of top tens. And yeah. it ranks you from first to whatever, whatever in those categories. So essentially, if someone got, let's just say, I think first place was Ricky for the wins category with four. So Ricky and Eagle are both tied at first. So the in the column, it puts first. So it doesn't mean they got one win. It means that they're the first ranked for that. And then it just averages across to say what that is. And then boom. You got your well, we got one number to look at, and that, that makes it nice. Yeah, so you can see easily how you get to that number, and you have one number to look look at. Uh-huh. And another thing, too, that in this announcement is they outlined that they've given the information to the Pro Tour. The quote is, to ensure the new rankings would be easy to communicate and exciting race to follow via channels like the Disc Golf Network through the Disc Golf Pro Tour season. They basically said they gave it to them to ensure that. So it sounds like the PDGA ranking is going to be the standard instead of UDIS this year. Um, which if you watched last week's episode, we were speculating like, is UDIS going to be live scoring or not? Literally the day after we announce it, Shocker. the day after we are like questioning like what's going on, why are they using yeah. the PDJ live? UDIS comes out with their schedule and they're going to be at all the pro tours. Yeah, um, that's about so right. that's a good we thing. Just, we just that's create great. action. We create change. Yeah, we just, we just force people's hands to announce it. But <laughs> it is interesting that UDISC Live and all of that will be used. UDISC will still have their world ranking, but it seems like the PDGA is like making themselves the official ranking. Right. Well, that's why it's interesting now that the PDGA, I don't know, like, I don't know what kind of agreement the Pro Tour and the PDGA have with one another, whether it's just kind of like they came to an agreement or if there was actual like paperwork or anything involved. But now that the PDGA and the Pro Tour are kind of like very much in cahoots, like it is the official tour of the PDGA. It kind of gives the PDGA this weird amount of power to where they could probably come out with any platform they wanted that UDISC can already do and kind of force UDISC out of the Pro Tour because they kind of have that leverage, it seems like. I don't really know why they have <coughs> any leverage at all. Yeah, well, but, I don't know why they would why they would want to do that. But it's because, like, with the world rankings thing, now, and maybe the Pro Tour even said to them, hey, we don't, like, the UDISC world rankings are kind of confusing. We'd like, because, like, right now, like with this new world ranking system, you could very quickly do the math live on the air and figure out, okay, if this player wins, they're going to be the new number one in the world. I feel like with the other system, it was just a little confusing to figure yeah. it all out on the go because I was, I mean, I was just watching golf last night and they were saying, okay, if Colin Morikawa wins this event, he will be, he'll finally get to number one in the world. And I was like, that's a cool thing to be able to throw out there. And the, and the UDISC one, while I do think for the most part seemed pretty accurate and we'll talk about why I think the PDJ one isn't quite yet. Um, it was confusing. So yeah, and well, the other thing though is the UDISC one was updated after every single tournament. The PDGA, from what it said, is uh, going to be is... updated after major events. Yeah, and then it said uh, something about like uh, either regularly or something like that throughout the season. So it didn't say like after every single event. Yeah, um, or every single because it's only pro tours and majors that counted into it. So it didn't say like after every single pro tour and major event. It basically just said like regularly throughout and then after majors. I don't know why this. I don't know why they would do that. So that's what I don't know exactly. I don't know how it will be a lot easier to follow like you're saying, but it might require at least this year. It seems like it might require like a little bit of right. fan figuring out that's versus just immediate we updates. Yeah, well, that's the thing is at least it would be very easy for us. Yeah, no. Yeah, exactly. But why would you not like 
they, they might end event, up. Yeah, after a pro tour event, all you have to do is add a number to the equation because like yeah. it would stink if it was like every there was like a four week gap and like at the start of that four weeks when it updated, a player had like a like a hot streak and they were like ranked like super high and then they just fell off the planet. But yeah. they're, they're, we're still seeing them super high in the rankings. That would yeah. be weird. So let's go ahead and look at these rankings really quick. I'm going to just read through the top 10 at MPO and FPO and then we'll talk about some outliers that I noticed when you compare directly the PDGA to UDISC. And then it's pretty obvious why these outliers happen. Yeah. Uh, but MPO first, starting up top, we have Ricky, number one player in the world. Well, in the US Tour ranking, we have Ricky. Paul, number two, Eagle, number three, Dickerson, number four, Kyle Klein, number five, James Conrad, number six, Adam Hammes, number seven, Calvin Heimberg, number eight, Matty O, number nine, and Kevin Jones rounds out the top 10. Now on the FPO side, we have Paige Pierce, number one, Katrina Allen, number two, Haley King, number three, Missy Gannon, number four, Kristen Tatar, number five, Sarah Hokum, sixth, Jessica Wee, seventh, Lisa Fakus, eighth, Kona Panis, ninth, and Owen Scoggins in 10th. So, outliers right away first thing you probably noticed it when i said it i saw some people comment about it on facebook as well as well calvin heimberg very low on pdga yeah uh eighth in the world um i believe on udis let me actually pull up the udis ranking i believe he's fifth because i think uh i believe um what's his name chris dickerson jumped him but other than that yeah so calvin heimberg is fifth eighth place for calvin heimberg is way too low uh, so that alone in my head should have made the PDGA when they were like putting this out, look at it and been like, something's off there. Right. And you can see what is off by looking at who's way too high, which is James Conrad. James right. Conrad is sixth in the world in the PDGA. And I believe he's 19th. And I'm going to pull him up to make sure I have his exact number right. James Conrad is 17th, 17th. and UDISC. So where does this come from? Well, it's the main factor in this is the fact that they separated out usdgc and worlds as their whole own thing so basically it's weighted the same as wins podium top 10 elite series average finish all of those are weighted the same as usdgc and worlds so when you have james conrad come in first at worlds and 20th at usdgc and calvin heimberg come in 42nd because they do it at the cut line so he came in 45th at worlds but or usdgc 42nd and 11th it immediately sets him back, even though he was on average beating James Conrad by eight places a tournament. Yeah, it's just not even close. The, the problem with this is, well, number one, so the, there's a, the problem is that PGA put this ranking out. And I get they were going for simplicity, but sometimes it can't be this simple because as soon as you like create that initial list as the PDGA and see like these incredibly obvious outliers, it's not even it, like you, as soon as you see Calvin Heimberg, you're like, well, well that's not right. Because you cannot have only two majors in a year, or even if there was four, and have them weighed so heavily. You have to, like, you have to. They should be weighed heavier. They still be weighed. They should still be weighed. Well, they are automatically weighed heavier because they're on their own instead of being an entire sure, season. Sure, sure. So that's sure. what I'm, I'm saying is that, that they just have to tweak the weight. I still agree that they should be. They should matter because performing in majors is very important. However, they 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 need to just tweak it down a little bit. They need to tweak it down a little bit, and then once the four majors are in a season as well, that will help too because there will be more opportunities. Because right now, if you only got two chances and you just have two slightly bad events, I mean, you're getting crushed. I believe for the U.S. Tour rankings, until it's updated to the World Rankings, the European Open this year is going to count for the Euro rankings. So they'll have three. So they'll have three. USDC, Worlds, and Champions I'm sure they'll change it. I hope they do. But that's all they – it seems like – in my mind, that seems like all they really have to do is just tweak that weight of what the majors are counting for a little bit to where things kind of slide better in place. Personally, I think it should just be an average. I mean, that would help. So you have like – Instead of right now being USDGC a column, Worlds a column, then Elite Series average finish, rating, I forgot about the rating, the ratings in there, wins, podium, top 10, I think it should be major average finish, then the rest of them. Because then that helps balance it a little bit. So now instead of James Conrad having a 20 and a 1, I, with only 2, it's the exact same, correct? No. It's a little different because that because it just changes the overall average. With three is where it gets even more because yeah, bet, yeah. line after line. Once, once there's four majors, you might be able to do that and it worked yeah. perfectly. It just I think it, it reduces their weight a little bit. So it's still weighted heavier than Elite Series or anything like that because there's only a few majors, but it reduces the weight a little bit. Let's look at some other outliers, though. These are mostly due to the same factor. Yeah. Um, next one I noticed was Andrew Presnell. Pretty low on the PDGA. I want to say he's 40th in the PDGA ranking. Uh, let's find him. Yeah, 40th in the PDGA ranking. 
Whereas I think he's a little bit higher than he should be on the UDISC ranking, 18th. Personally, I have him 25th, somewhere like that. So I don't know what I actually have him in my top 25. But I don't think he's as high as 18, but he's definitely not as low as 40. Right. Uh, he'd be closer to 18 than he would be to 40. Yeah, the problem is you can look through the list, and, and every time it's that the outliers are people that, like there are some people that were literally beating guys way ahead of them by like 15 places on the Elite Series by average, and we're still way behind because of a like one bad major finish. And like like I said, we, we agree that the major tournaments should matter. And I, and I also agree that I like the simplistic approach to trying to make a world ranking system that makes sense. And I also know that you're never going to have one that's perfect. No. But yeah. I think UDISC was at least, even though it's confusing, they were at least able to achieve one that doesn't make you scratch your head very often. Whereas this one, immediately, there were some names that just stuck out like sore thumbs. Like, well, that's just not right. Well, because in part of what UDISC or what PGA quoted is like, why they should have a more frequently updated ranking system over rating is then you don't have to worry about like one bad outlier round having an effect. Right. But what they didn't notice is by doing it this way, you can have one bad outlier tournament yeah. have a hold a lot of weight because yeah. Andrew Presnell, 24th at Worlds, I believe, or USDGC it is, average finish, 28th, 1023 rated, no wins, one podium, two top tens, it looks like. But he came in 80th at Worlds. Right. So that immediately just drags him way down to where average finish was 28th. If you scroll up a little bit, you'll find AB, average finish 33rd. You'll find Austin Hannum, 30th, average finish 31st. you find James Proctor, 25th, average finish 36th. So like on average, uh, Presnell's beating him by eight places. But because of Worlds being, you know, Proctor finished 17th at Worlds, yeah. Andrew Presnell finished 80th, immediately he's losing that. It's tough, too, because I think I think people do get the wrong idea, myself included, about World Rankings a lot of times, where, like, you want it, what you want so badly is for World Rankings to be an accurate uh, reflection of who is the best player and, like, who are the next best player, next best player, when really no matter what you do, it's, it is going to come down to who had the best season and who had the next best season. So like, there is always going to be stuff like that, but there, there's just some simple fixes they could do. Like, yeah. It would not take much. Yeah. And, and then we'd get closer to where we, where it should be. What's and, tough is like, I, I like almost the UDISC list seems a lot closer to accurate than the PDGA yeah. list, but it's a lot more confusing how they got there. Yeah. So like if they could like merge somehow to where like there's easily noticeable data on like yeah. how you got to where you are, because I mean, another another few people, Marweed, exact very similar situation to Presnell. He's in because uh, this one's also Marweed's like tenth. Marweed, yeah, he's thirty seventh in yeah, the PDG. I mean, that just can't be right. Andrew Mar, he's a better player than that. Yeah, I don't think he's as good as uh, they have him. Udisc has him as eleventh. Again, similar thing to Presnell. He's I don't think he's quite that though. high, but he's not thirty seventh in the world. Yeah. We know that much. And then there's a few other players that are like flipped right next to each other so Ulibarri Clemens and Emerson Keith are both too close to each other on both lists I, but in different areas the whole, the, really the whole point is the fact that the PDGA created this initial list and looked at it and didn't see a problem with it when it like it's well a lot of people looked at it they it, got player feedback uh they it, got a whole, just, whole slew of things it just seems so obvious like, yeah <laughs> it just, I, don't, I don't know what they're uh, on FPO the the list isn't that criminal or anything right. like that. FPO's Neither are really criminal, but FPO is a lot more straightforward. FPO is a very more straight. It, well, it, w- it will get a lot less straightforward when all the European players. Yeah, well, get like Kristen Tatar is a little low on the PDGA, but it's because she just wasn't over she here much. So it's hard. Season, yeah. It's hard to do that when you're not factoring in the tournament she played over there, which right. UDISC is. Lisa Fakus pretty high on the PDGA, but again, it is what it is. There's not like a drastic like 20, 30 spot difference. Uh, but the absence of the Europeans is a lot more noticeable in FPO than it is MPO. Because FPO, if you look at the UDISC rankings, you've got three Europeans in the top, top five. Yeah. And on the PDJ, you only have one European on the list, which get, is Kristen Tatar. I guess the good news is at least that like the top three, especially like the world number one, is really the title that matters the most. And like it makes sense. <laughs> They've got, they got that one right. So at least, at least they didn't create this formula and all of a sudden like it has like dickerson is world number one and then we'd all really be scratching our heads but at least they because world number one at the end of the day is the title that these rankings are like built for like you want to be that so at least they have that right all right so let's rotate into the disc golf network also this past week updated their pricing uh so i can find the announcement um over here so 
a few notable things in the announcement. First and foremost, European Open and USDGC are advertised as part of the Disc Golf Network subscription this year. So you'll be able to watch USDGC without the bonus. I wonder if you'll be able to watch Hole 17 this year. I don't know. I don't know. So it basically just said, like, it, it... let me read the exact part of it. We're thrilled to bring the USDGC and European Open to the Disc Golf Network as part of the 30-plus event package included in this subscription. That's Jeff Spring talking. Um, and then the USDGC and European Open will have pay-per-view options available for exclusive post-produced content, as well as coverage of the President's Cup. Post-production content will be released 30 days after the event ends on YouTube. And somewhere along, somewhere in here, they do confirm that it's included. Yeah, right here. Uh, Disc Golf Network will broadcast all rounds for Elite Series and PDGA majors, including USDGC and European Open, live included with a Disc Golf Network subscription. So last year, you did have to pay like additional to watch USDGC, right, regardless if you were a subscriber or not. This year, they're all, uh, we're all together. Uh, another thing, too, is they introduced individual rounds and individual tournament packages. Mm. So it's $4.99 for an individual round or $9.99 if you want to pay for an individual tournament. They upped the price per month to eleven ninety nine per month or a hundred bucks annually, uh, and then there is still the discount for five ninety nine per month for PDGA members. They also added some additional PDGA member benefits, which is free access to the Las Vegas Challenge Champions Cup, USWDGC, last two rounds of World, and the MVP Open, regardless of if you have a Disc Golf Network subscription or not. Um, so that kind of adds a little benefit like to the PDGA. Here. So, because so the Disc Golf season runs. Uh, February through end of February. You might as well say March because last week of February. But you have to pay for the month of February if you're paying you would. monthly. You so would. you go February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October. You got to pay for nine months. So nine months. If you have the, I'm trying to figure out the, what's the cheapest way because you said bucks annual, annually. So unless you're a PDJ an, member, no, because the PDJ. If you factor in the PDJ membership, though, PDJ membership is fifty bucks. So 50, fifty bucks, and then and nine, six bucks a month. Nine times six, so that's fifty four. Fifty four. So it's a little more. So one hundred four. So yeah. The cheapest way is don't be a PDJ member. Just don't join. Well, the what I haven't seen is if, the, if you're already in the PDJ. Yes. It's does big. the discount apply to like? Can you get an annual discount for PDJ members? Like, can you get it be only fifty mm. bucks? Because I, I was curious to see. I I looked up uh, what the NFL Sunday ticket price was because I was just curious to see what they charge. Because I'm mean, obviously in, with, with that, you're getting essentially like what is it like? Because like two teams are on a buy. I don't forget how many buys they do, but you're getting like 15 games a week, I think, with that, and that that costs 300 for the whole season. Yeah, and like 70 something a month if you do it that way. I was just curious to see the pricing comparison. But that I mean, if you're like a lot of people that are going to watch live disc golf are PDGA members. Um, yeah, but I was trying to think like and even six if bucks you're, a month. If you're a PDGA member, that's not bad at all. I couldn't see if they gave PGA member an average or like a discount on the annual pricing. Yeah, but if you're paying fifty bucks for a PDGA member, and then even if they gave you a fifty percent discount on the annual pricing to fifty bucks, it's the same as just not being a PGA member and paying annually. Yeah, hundred hundred annually is not bad. It's not bad because what that what does that break it down to? You said there's what thirty events. There's thirty events plus the I think you said thirty plus events plus the majors. So I don't think the majors are included in those thirty plus events. So, so it's like three less than three bucks an event. That's what I'm saying. Like if you, you think about it that way, you're, you're a couple dollars to watch. You know, pretty well produced live disc golf. Like that. That's, that must that's be fair pricing. It's it must be fair. including. Uh, they're part of the 30 plus events so yeah. it must be including silver series in that yeah because i'm trying I, to think of what all events that's that is, that's fair pricing to me. yeah that's not bad at all some people were complaining about it obviously how, like how like that, it, that is because people don't want to pay to watch that's this what i'm saying though a couple dollars literally it's like it's like you going to your local course and making a little donation or t- it's like an ace pot at a tournament like yeah just throwing a few bucks it's not bad at all it's gonna grow the sport and um yeah and also Jomez, all that's still going to exist. So if you don't want, if you don't want to pay, you are there's still free options for almost every tournament out there. USDGC only through the Disc Golf Network, but other than that, it seems like every other tournament's going to be. Try really next hard day. to like get on, get on my, be on my live tweeting game this year to like make make people jealous that aren't watching live disc golf because well, it is so much more fun when everybody's is. on Twitter like tweeting about it and like in the Discord. It's, no, it's also like. Post produce is a great way to like catch like the recap of the round essentially. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love that post produce exists. Absolutely, and post produce will always exist. If I miss a round, like I'm gonna watch it post produce, and I'm not gonna be like, oh, this is gross. But I, I I'll t- I won't enjoy it as much because no, I, that's I, what I was gonna say. I don't like um, 
I don't like listening to commentary where the guys already know what happens. Well, I personally just enjoy or I already just know being what in the moment of like a sick shot happens and you whether or not you're watching it with a friend or friends live or you can virtually be connected to people who are experiencing the same thing at the same right, time. Right. To where like James Conrad's shot goes in. Boom. I can tweet about it. I can hop in our Discord, which if you're not in our Discord, by the way, there's a great time to join it. It's, it's free. Spot. Link is in the description of pretty much if you're on audio or YouTube, but there's a live tournament chat in there that pops absolutely off. pops off every season. And like the YouTube live chat can be very toxic and annoying not a Discord. lot of times, but our Discord we is... mods. Yeah, our Discord has mods and all of that, but on top of it, it's just people who are watching live disc golf to enjoy live disc golf and not to be critical and go back and forth so personal you know definitely biased opinion i think our live tournament chat is the place to be when you're watching live disc golf yeah but regardless there's just something about a moment happens good or bad and you're able to interact with people live in that moment that's why i personally whenever i can i enjoy disc golf live yeah um but there's nothing wrong with the post-produce and it's not going anywhere if it ever does go anywhere it'll just be post-produced under the disc golf pro tours umbrella in the future uh, but eleven ninety nine per month, yeah, that one eleven ninety nine per month seems somewhat expensive. But when you look at a hundred bucks annually, that brings it down to less than ten dollars a month. Right. But then also, if you're a PDGA member, it's only six bucks a month. Yeah, and even what were you saying? It was like it's like uh, nine ninety nine for an individual event. So let's, yeah, so if you want, if you just have a watch, favorite event, yeah, if you just want to watch majors and a couple other, like yeah, maybe you spend fifty dollars on the year, like. Yeah. It's not bad. They're, or four ninety nine for individual rounds. So, so you can wait and see like yeah. oh you to be honest with you, no one there's not really a card I want to watch. Well that's the other thing too, is I'm very curious to see how Las Vegas Challenge goes this upcoming weekend. Quick side note, you might notice during this episode we're not talking about Las Vegas Challenge. Why? We're gonna have <laughs> why? I'm glad you asked. Uh, we're gonna have sponsor. <laughs> no, we're gonna have uh Two episodes of Grip Locked on tournament weeks. We're going to have this episode on Monday. It's going to recap the week before and any tournaments that happened the weekend before. And then we're going to have an episode the day before the tournament starts. That's just a full only preview episode. So that way they can be split separately. Um, and we can go more in depth on both sides because people have been really enjoying the off season feel. And I felt like Monday now this allows us to dive into the recap of the tournament before a little bit more and also have some of that off season feel later in the episode mm-hmm. and then Wednesday or Thursday, depending on what day a tournament starts. So this week it'll be on Wednesday, we'll be able to go full dive in, stats, all of that on the tournament coming up that week. So we're gonna test it this week, see how it goes. I'm assuming most people will like it, but we'll go back to like for Las Vegas challenge. I'm very curious though for the disc golf network to see if they're able to pull roll over their coverage that they were able to do for the all-star event because for the all-star event, we saw a ton of golf. I mean, yeah. four or five cards and you were only seeing shots that mattered. Right. So when it came to like on FPO, especially there was a few cards that just like not got out of hand, but they, the score was basically set in stone yeah. or at least in the middle of the round. So unless something crazy happened, you didn't see that card. Mm-hmm. So if something, if a cool shot or something happened, you saw the card. But if a player's 15 strokes out of it and it's on in, is on chase card, you're not going to see that player on live right. coverage. So that's something that I personally really like because also if someone stormed from third card up, they are able to get a camera over there, capture that. So yeah. I, I'm hoping that that alone, I think, drastically increases and separates the difference because right now the issue in the past has been why would you choose to watch a four-hour round of disc golf if they're only following the lead card when you can watch the same exact disc golf the next day right. in 30 minutes? Right. What live should be is a whole different package, which is you're not watching just four guys yeah. or four girls. You're watching, realistically, the highlights of the entire field. Sure. So it's popping. You have Paul's drive on one. Now, all right, as they're walking up, we're going to throw it over to Eagle and Calvin on hole three and stuff yeah. like that. I, I mean, the day that they get to where it's like watching golf to where like it's just shot after shot after shot. That's very simple. That's how the like, all-star event felt. Yeah, that, that's, that's what... I'm always curious each year to see like where you notice the pro tour like upping their game. Um, I remember like one year being like, oh, their graphics packages are so much better this year. I think last year, the thing I noticed the most was like, oh, they're really using like stat packages really well. Like they have really good um, statistics to reference and 
So I'm interested to see like this year what what it's going to be, if anything, hopefully, that I'm like, oh, wow, they've really stepped up their game with this this year. Well, they're also doing separate streams for MPO and FPO. And what that allows is there's going to be more cameras on the course. For yeah, both. That, I mean, that alone should do it, right? Yeah. Like, that should be... Because before, you know, you had two cards of MPO being covered and two cards of FPO being covered. Whereas this year, we should be able to have enough cameras to fully cover four cards of MPO and four cards of FPO. But when you split it even farther, you might be able to get like a camera out to, you know, fifth or sixth card. So there should be. And they also on All-Star Weekend did a lot of like replays of like, this is what just happened. So like basically you weren't going to miss someone's tee shot because it was happening the same time as someone else's tee shot. They would just right. be able to be like, all right, moments ago on hole three, yeah. this was so-and-so teeing off. And now we're going live to his putt for birdie. Yeah. And I, I, it was very confusing to follow on the All-Star Weekend because they didn't have the, the scoring wasn't just straight first to 10th scoring. Yeah. And that was the graphic we were being showed. It was a head to head. But if the scoring like in a normal tournament is just first to 10th, it's not hard to follow because it's very easy to a have it up on your phone or B they were showing the scores and you know, James Conrad is in the mix and yeah. now we're cutting to James Conrad shot. What happened here? Right. Um, so I'm very excited to see how that goes. And I'm also excited that, the PDGA members have free access to Las Vegas Challenge. So if you're someone who's on the fence, you're like, would I like live disc golf? Or maybe I hated live disc golf in the past, but so I don't want to pay for it. You're able to give it a shot this give week. Shot. And then also Champions Cup, you're able to give it a shot again, USWDGC, all of that. So you'll have a few different options at, throughout the year to like test the waters before you commit to paying 100 bucks annually or 6 bucks a month or whatever it may be. Um, but overall, I think it's moving in the right direction. I understand some of the pushback. Whenever you increase price, it's going to be pushback. But if we're able to increase the product, get it out there in a better way and more concise for us to be able to uh, bring it in, then what's the harm? If we get a better product, I'll pay a better price. Absolutely. Uh, but that, with that being said, it's time for a fan favorite segment, Trevor's Trivia. It's going to be the first Trevor's Trivia in a while where I don't have Connor to like battle know, against. No competition. Um, so this actually comes from the PDGA did a write-up on their website. Hopefully you didn't read it about the 100 win club i didn't i did not read it okay. i almost read it multiple Thank times goodness. but i did not read it so it's actually a, these are like these are pretty cool statistics they basically talked about you know different different ways players got to the 100 win club you know the fastest the oldest the youngest all that so i'm going to ask some you some trivia related to that um because i thought some of it was pretty cool so first of all we have and we're going to go well, for some of these, this is going to be MPO and FPO for this one. So okay. this is going to be who was the first to reach the 100-win club for FPO and MPO? The first ever to reach the first it? first ever to reach 100 wins. It's a lot of wins. It is a lot of wins. We'll go Ken Climo, MPO, yeah. and FPO. Dang. Des Redding? Juliana Corver. Juliana Corver. She, one of them, how many wins does Juliana Corver have now? I think over 200. And say some, it doesn't someone have 300 wins. Elaine. Elaine King is 300. Okay. Okay. Uh, Climo. It took, it was like nine years after his first recorded event. Dang. That hit. So he was winning 10 events a year, over 10 events a year. Um, Jeez. Well, wait till you, wait till you hear later. Well, actually we'll go into it right now. Cause this one's, this one's pretty crazy. Who was, this is just MPO FPO combined. Who was the fastest player ever? Elaine King. No, to get to hundred wins. Fastest? Yeah. Okay, well, assume by that's not Elaine King. King. I was thinking she has 300 wins. Like, she had to get there fast. She got to 100 after uh, Juliana Corver. Oh, so you're saying fastest from, like, the start of your career. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But But I guess their career started at the same time. Around the same time, Okay, okay. Uh, And then you can also take a guess at how long it took them. Based on, I gave you Climo's as, like, a a gauge. It's faster than Climo at nine years. Yes. So it's got to be an FPO player. We'll go Des Redding. How long do you think it took? Six years. Wrong and wrong. <laughs> it's Katrina Allen. And really? It took her five years and two months. Is that including amateur wins? At, it's a hundred win club. So that includes amateur Probably. wins? Probably. Okay. Probably. hundred total wins. Um, and then... The well, la- I, was thinking, I was thinking professional wins. The last one would be the youngest. And this is, you go MPO and FPO and guess their age as well. The youngest, youngest, youngest. That's like nearly impossible to know. I mean, I'm going to say, oh, did Katrina Allen start her career late? Because if she got it in five years and she started young, we'll go Paul Macbeth for MPO. 
Nope. Why would it be Paul? I, I'm, that's kind of, it's kind of surprising that it isn't, but. Is, is it Katrina Allen for FPO? Nope. Then, I mean, I'm clueless. It's Ricky for MPO at age 24. Okay, that makes sense because he was during the same time as Paul, but younger than Paul. And then Paige at 26 for the FPO. That also makes sense. How long did it take Paige to get 100 wins? Um, I don't know that it... Well, I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure when her rookie season was, but I think... I mean, it took her... It had to be quite a while because I think she started pretty young. Like, she started playing disc golf pretty young. So, that's it, that's the thing is, like, it kind of... For fastest, it kind of depends on, like, how good you are when you start getting into events is yeah. kind of how it works. So, like... Cat probably started playing competitively when she was like, like already pretty good. It, it actually says with Cat, uh, she got her hundredth win July 2015, uh, just five years and two months after her first recorded event, which she won by 34 strokes. Holy cow! The quickest am to reach the milestone is Denise Gentry, who managed the wins in just five and a half years of. Yeah. Okay. But it's fascinating. Yeah, I I was clueless. I was clueless on all of that. Oh yeah, and then, and Dickerson is the quickest male, but he did it in five years and three months. See, Dickerson doesn't surprise me because I remember I distinctly remember when he got into disc golf. I want to say it was like twenty sixteen. He was also only a few months shy of beating Ricky for youngest. Because when he got in, when he started playing around this era, he was dominating like everything, Tennessee and over. And whenever I first heard about him. The thing, like, people told me, they're like, yeah, dude, this guy's only been playing disc golf for a year. The craziest. And I, like, kept telling myself, I was like, because I, at that time, was trying to be really good at disc golf. I didn't know if it was, like, a touring pro or what I was trying to do, but I was trying to get as good as I could, as fast as I could. Yeah. And I've been playing for, like, two or three years at that time, and Dickerson was obviously miles better than me. And so, like, to, like, pad my pride, I was telling myself, well, this, he probably has only been playing with the PDGA for a year. Like, surely he hasn't yeah. playing disc golf for a year. I never know. I don't know the actual answer of, like, when he started playing disc golf versus the PDGA, but I do distinctly remember, like, once he started his PDGA membership, he was just great. Uh, yeah. He, like, started good, PDGA-wise. It, it is interesting because when you think about, like, if those records will be broken because it is getting so much harder to win. Yeah. Just even, but, even but, on your local scene, though. Yeah, but is, 100 wins... You, you're going to have people who can what the local scene would call them sandbag, but play well within the rules and be able to just like mop up intermediate week in and week out. Yeah. I, and I, if uh, you play 50 events a year, I mean, you might be able to get 30 wins a year and do it in three years. If you're just like, if you're like, all I'm going for is the yeah, fastest player to hundred wins. It's interesting. Cause like, I think especially for like the youngest player one too, like now that the tour is getting more sustainable to where like it's, if you're good enough, you can play on the tour. Like yeah. we'll see younger players get on the tour, but then once you get there, like you're not winning that, you're much. not winning that much. Yeah, Cause yeah. like Gannon Burr talent wise, he could probably get to a hundred wins as the youngest player, but he'd have to play his local scene right. left and right. If he's playing on tour, he might win. He might get, year. yeah, he <laughs> might get one, maybe two wins a year if he's having great years. Yeah. And so, I mean, you might never get to a hundred wins. You're trying to play for 50 years at that rate. Yeah. It's crazy. The hundred yeah. win club is going to be a more the, and more elusive yeah, club. Yeah, say the days of mopping up. Well, a hundred pro win club. Yeah, because I'd be interested if cats had to be am. We can actually tell. Yeah, go ahead and look. Because a hundred, I mean, unless she was just playing like local FPO and was just mopping yeah, up. Yeah, I, I don't see her necessarily playing a lot of am. She might have just been playing local. FPO. I mean, that'd be crazy if if they're talking. I mean, she's strictly did, five years though. Like that's twenty wins. That's 20 wins a year. 2010, That's she played <laughs> it starts in nine 20, advanced It starts wins. in 2015. Or no, it ends in 2015. Yeah, yeah, so 2010, she played, it has to be AM, because she played nine AM tournaments and three women open tournaments. And she won one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven uh, advanced tournaments. But 2011, she might have went full open. Say, when did she start breaking Yeah, 2011, open? she went 38 pro tournaments. So that's what it was. She just played... Holy 38 cow. professional tournaments and she won a lot of them but she's playing in like she won a bunch of a tiers b tiers won a bunch of stuff it's insane but yeah so she played 38 tournaments in 2011 41 tournaments in 2012 oh my gosh, that's 33 what it is. tournaments in 2013 play, that's the other thing about the 100 win club. 41 tournaments in 2014 <laughs> And then 35. So she didn't play below 30 tournaments That's in like 2011 to 2015. The, uh, if you're on the tour, it's hard to get there quick too because the, you're not going to play as many events. Yeah. The days of like, it's because players back then to make a disc golf living, 
and there still are players like this, but the big players, they had to play as many as they could, and they had to sweep up local events when they could. I mean, they, they'd be looking. Oh, my gosh. What are you doing? Um, but players used to hunt like purses, like sneaky good purses and, and look yeah. to see who was showing up and like, could they just like, that's how you had to make your living. You had to almost just like look finesse at, the tour. I remember one of the years recently, Emerson Keith played like an insane amount because of tournaments. 70 something. Yeah. That's because he did flex starts. It was like 2019 or 20. That, that man was living. And that's how, that's when he got super good. When was it? 2017? 2017. He did 73 tournaments. And one year. Yes. $13,000 purse money. Because <laughs> they're mostly flex starts. Yeah. Like how, much of, did he, how much did he win for winning one of those flex starts? Let me find... I'm sure he won a flex start. He played a bunch of them. He wasn't winning much of anything. Um, I mean, this was like when he was getting good at disc golf. So it was Flex start. He won this one at Cedar Hills Coyote, 90 bucks. $90. There you go. But then he won the Cedar Hill Chill the next day for 600 bucks. Okay. I respect Another flex start, sixty bucks. I would love, another flex start, fifty bucks. I would love to play seventy three tournaments in here because you would not, you wouldn't even be phased by a bad one because you know you got a next another one coming right up. Like, yeah, I mean, so listen every to this. time you and I listen played, this week of October, October seventh through October thirteenth, he had three events in, in those six days. So like every other day, he had an event. Yeah. This is what happens to us when we decide to play an event finally because we never play them. So it's like the masters when we show up. We're like, yeah. we're like we have one shot at this thing. Whereas if you're playing every other weekend, you're just like, well, that was a bad one, but we'll get the next one. But when you and I play, he played like, nine events in sick. January that year. That's awesome. Nine events. Uh, dude, in I want to play. It. I want to play. It. <laughs> that was like two a week in January. Let's play a flex start when we go to Texas. This, I, Let's I, hop in a flex. Flex start. starts are terrifying. No, they're not. What does it matter? Nothing, I guess. Nothing. Nothing. I guess. Guess. <laughs> uh, another thing that came out this past week is the Pro Tour announced their updated points and awards for the 2022 season. So starting with the points, they said Silver Series events will be awarded 25% of standard Disc Golf Pro Tour Elite Series points. Pro Tour player event, playoff events will be awarded 125 points. And majors this year are going to be included and awarded 150 points, 150%. Of the points uh, to qualify for the first Pro that's Tour kinda, playoff. That's the kind of scale that PDGA need to be using. Yeah. Uh, to qualify for the first Pro Tour playoff event, Green Mountain Championship, players must fall within the top 100 MPO or top 50 FPO. Then the top 64 MPO and top 32 FPO will qualify for the second playoff event, the MVP Open. Then the Tour Championship will maintain the same format with 32 MPO and 16 FPO, competing over four rounds with the top four scores from each round advancing. For the 2022 Tour Championship, uh, the top 32 and top 32 MPO and top 14 FPO will automatically qualify and granted buys. I think they messed up there. No, top 30. I messed up reading it. Duh. Top 30 MPO and top 14 FPO will be automatically. So there's two spots that aren't automatic buys. So the two final spots in each division will be ter- determined by a play-in event to be held the Wednesday prior to the start of the event. 31st and 32nd seed on the MPO side and 15th and 16th seed on FPO will automatically gain entry to the play-in event and will be joined by four additional players in each division. These four play-in spots will be reserved for any player who won a Pro Tour Elite Series event or major but didn't qualify points-wise. And there's also... I don't know if there'll be any like that. Probably not, but then they said <laughs> then those spots, uh, if the spots are still inv- available, the invitation is passed to the next player in the point standing. So basically, it's like a bubble play-in event. Yeah, so it's either going to be cool. if someone like shows up isn't doing a full tour but wins one of the pro tour events then they have a chance to still get to the pro tour finale or if not then it's like a bubble of like if you're right on the edge you still have a chance to get in i love the playoff format this year i love that they're narrowing down the field uh my only wonder and i still can't decide from the language they're using is so they're basing this off the fedex cup playoffs on the pga tour um and in that what happens is so when you take like the top 100 into the first playoff event and then you cut the field down into the top 60, it's not based on where you finished in that last event. It's not like the top 60 spots from that event. It's the points. It's still based on points. Like Correct. it's still the top. So I'm, I'm hoping that's the way they're going to do it. That's what they're saying. That's what they're saying. Okay. So that, that makes more sense. That way, that way you can't have like now with 60 spots, 
it, you know, you're not going to see Paul McBeth, you know, come in 68th and then get no, kicked out. But, no. but uh, I like to see it that way. I, I, I wish, honestly, like that's I love- why that's why they're making the playoff events worth more, right? Too, right. so that you have a chance to earn more points that against makes people. Sense. I love, I love the playoff format. I honestly, I wouldn't mind even one more event in there. I, I wouldn't mind going like maybe like a hundred, like a hundred sixty forty, and then throwing to the playoffs. I, I just love like the cutthroatness of like the playoff format where like, especially when like Maple Hill is only top 60. So like, if you want to go to that really like beloved tournament, you've got to be good enough. Yeah. And it's, it's going to make the tournaments a lot more fun to watch. Cause you're going to have, yeah, like people are going to be in the race for the player of the year and stuff like that. But you're also going to have a separate race, which is getting onto the bubble to possibly make it to the tour right. championship or right. guaranteeing your spot. Right. Um, so it gives again more storylines yeah, to follow. It brings more now, now that you kind of call it the playoffs. You immediately bring more spotlight to that tour championship. Like hopefully they're really tracking that and like drawing. I'm sure they will because that, that, yeah. that is like a that's a fun thing. Because then you also like or it's another storyline to follow up to Worlds of like a player who shows up, plays a few events, and like is able to sneak into the top hundred. Right. And they're like, hey, right. with that they've now made you know now he's in. 58th place he might yeah. be if he has a good performance at the two playoff events he might be able to sneak That's into the tour championship qualifying stuff like with the usdgc what they do and cuts and things of that nature just make everything way more interesting yeah because there's way more storylines to follow exactly and, and it, it's, it's not just who wins weekend yeah week you know you're not just looking at oh who's gonna compete for the win you're like oh who's gonna get into that last spot and like there's mm-hmm. just there's always because like even if there's a runaway for the win that spot in the middle there's always going to be a tug there's of war something people are fighting for something right, at all times right and that also that also like enhances the like underdog nature in disc golf yeah because like right now you essentially just have like if you have a player like jackie chin who in Taiwan beat James Conrad, Nate Perkins, like a few, I think Barzi might've been there. If you have like a, a breakout player like that, that's a storyline. Or if a player like makes a lead card or chase card, you haven't heard it before of before. But now this gives like a whole nother storyline to follow of like making the tour championship is getting harder and harder to do. So a player just making that, that you haven't heard of at the start of the season, that's a big storyline. And it gives fans something else to root for throughout mm-hmm. the season. Because like your favorite player realistically some people's favorite players this year might not make the tour championship yeah or like you absolutely love that player you follow them the on all social media whatever muddied. it is getting yeah. very tough and the fpo it's going to be similar because they also said the pro tour remains the right to add players to the play in tournament based on covid disruptions so essentially if something happened where the europeans couldn't make it over for enough events to qualify it seems like this is that language there is mm. like we reserve the right to like invite them back over if they didn't meet the criteria but now have a chance to play in the playing game yeah. or play in tournament but stuff like that, I mean, it, it gives you something else to follow along with, something else to be excited about. And it, I don't know, just I like when there's additional storylines that like the average viewer not going to care two rips about. But if you're super into disc golf and you're constantly wanting to follow more, this is something else to get excited right. about and 100%. get to follow and, and get to talk about if you're us. 100%. Um, the other thing that they fixed, which huge props to the Pro Tour, because the Pro Tour year after year after year proves something happens they respond to it immediately if it's fixable immediately they fix it if not they listen to all the mm-hmm. feedback they filter through what's crap and what's good yeah. feedback and then they make changes based yeah, on it the pro tour is the example of what all of disc golf should be and the pdga struggles with this sometimes whereas we are still young enough and especially the pro tour where you make the changes now. Every yeah. time there's a problem, change, 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 change until you get to one where people that everybody agrees is a good solution and then you stick with it. But yeah. Like, yeah, they they are never afraid to take feedback and make the change without hesitation. They just what's, do it. What's interesting here, though, is the player of the year is the first change that's happened. And that was one that actually wasn't pushed back that, that hard. Missy Gannon won it when it should have went to uh, Paige Pierce. Yeah. Um, but there wasn't like a huge outrage. And so what they did is they took away the fan vote. So the player of the year, 33% media vote, 33% tour vote, tour points, 33% average finish at majors and the tour championship. So basically the media is going to have a vote. The tour points are going to weigh in. And then they put a weight on majors in the tour championship, the biggest tournaments of the year. That is very smart because what, what happened last year that was the issue was basically the media and fans combined when if a player had a good tour championship finish 
then all it took was for media and fans. To, they they were the ones that decided. It. Yeah. And really, elite series finishes or points rather should be like the biggest thing. So this makes sense. It takes it takes away that, yeah. that possibility. The media still has like so there is still a vote from right the, not from fans but from the media. But then tour points and majors are all that really matters because yeah. if you do really well there and there the only thing the media vote's going to decide is if there's two players that are neck and neck that did really well yeah but if there's two players that are neck and neck then you, you're going to have pushback either way it doesn't yeah. matter which one it ends up with but this allows it to get to two players being neck and neck versus mm-hmm. re- it basically just removes the recency bias yeah exactly because that's what happened with missy gannon was she had a great season don't get me wrong but she was not player of the year last not year not even close and so but she ended with a throw pink women's disc golf championship win which was just an a tier we have to keep reminding ourselves that <laughs> i know it felt way more like a major than u.s women's did but it was just an a tier is that going to be still just uh, an a tier this year still just an A-tier. yeah because oh. uswdgc still going on uh, and then, the at least. and then you, she won the Pro Tour Championship. So back to back wins, end of the year, recency bias, big fan vote, media vote, boom, eliminated everything else. Whereas Paige should have won Player of the Year. Mm-hmm. Paige didn't even win PDGA Player of the Year this year. I don't think. Pretty sure it was Cat. No, which is funny because like the PDGA released their you know rankings and who's on top? Shocker, Paige. Yeah. Um, hmm, the numbers checked out there. <laughs> yeah. But regardless, the next thing they updated, this is the one was that was Paige, the most pushed it was back. Page even after not winning worlds too. Yeah. Like that should be even more of a oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, the other thing that the, the Pro Tour updated based on feedback was the Rookie of the Year. So sorry, everyone. Scott Stokely's not going to be Rookie of the Year this year. Thank goodness. Um, <laughs> the criteria. So the Rookie of the Year is now going to wow. be given to the player with the highest points total who has not played more than three combined Elite Series. National Pro Tour Elite Series, National Tour, or major events in a single previous season. Man, isn't it crazy that like all those people that said that that like we were they were like you just don't understand why Juliana? Isn't it crazy that we were actually right? Shocker! <laughs> that the um, <laughs> like players the rookie the other, of the year should mean rookie of the year. Yeah, they the, fixed it. The other thing too is players who have competed in two or more PDGA majors in a single season will also be ineligible. So essentially, if what this allows this is just the Corver clause is what you can call this. Yeah. What this allows is like if a player's because we were trying to last year figure out what is the solution because you didn't want to go just strictly PDJ rookie because you don't want to take away where you can't play like local scene because right. uh, it should be, should be like a tour rookie. But like it was a confusing thing. So this basically solves it because even if you go out and play a pro tour or if you're a local pro and you go play worlds or something like that. As long as you're just doing like one here, like if you play a pro tour event and a world championship in a year, you're still a tour rookie, as it should be. That makes sense. It allows players to kind of pop in and out. It's going to be a lot harder to pop onto the pro tour yeah. nowadays. But And it's also elite series. If you want to play silver series events, also doesn't count towards it. Mm. Great. You can play a full season of silver series, not count towards it. Perfect. Only thing that could get weird is if like someone won all the silver series events and somehow got enough points to make it to the tour championship. And then like, could they still be rookie of the year the next year? That still though would know. still be fair because you got to you got to just do this silver series as you, as you go because that's the most unlikely scenario you could think yeah. of is that a player just the dominates silver. silver series and then ends up. That would make no sense. No, yeah. but uh, so this allows all of that to take place to where you have a true tour rookie and they don't get gypped of rookie of the year because of. Mm-hmm. Juliana Corver coming in and having a great season. She even herself said she felt like she didn't deserve it because. She's literally the only thing that you can talk about Juliana Corver is being like the greatest player of all time. Yeah. That's that was the hardest part. Yeah, it's like it wasn't like it was like a player who played some back in the day, but wasn't very noted. Like didn't have a lot of notoriety, and now they're back on tour and won it. That would, it also had nothing to do with her age. It was just that she's a five time world champion and right. one of the winningest players of all time. Hundred percent. And then she gets rookie of the year. So again, great fix by the Pro Tour. They just did what they should have done. They didn't like respond hatefully back and forth with play with. People giving them f- feedback. They were like, they honestly probably looked at it and were like, crap. They knew it. Yeah, they knew it. it but they were like, we, we put 100%. these out before the season. There was a loophole we didn't see. It's the same. It yeah. is what it is. We'll fix it next With year. With all these awards changes, it, it, they, I, I do like that, you know, they stick to their guns when it happens like that. They're like, they just announce it as it is. They just kind of take it and then they fix it. Yeah. And that's fine. And then the final one that I believe has a little bit of change, but I could be wrong. Um, Actually, I think I am wrong. Is the most improved. It's just going to be fifty percent fan vote, fifty percent media vote. I think that's still the same. Yeah. So that one, I have no problem with the fan and media deciding most improved because, like, right. yeah, you could. They said the tiebreakers total disc golf pro tour points. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, 
Because like realistically, like the most improved is, is just like it's a fully subjective award. So yeah. there's not going to be a ton of like there's going to be debate regardless, but it's not going to be like super heavy debate like player of the year, or rookie of the year is. Because most improved is just like it can mean a different thing to different people. Right. Exactly. Uh, so like every like if you look at the stats, that's not going to be the same as like people's feelings about most improved and is what it is. So and it also gives the fans something to vote for. So if there's recency bias on most improved, who cares? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so that's just fan and media vote. Um, so all those changes I think are great. And now we know them going into the year. Uh, and yeah, so all in all, I think it was just like a big week because it's the week before the start of the tour. So a lot of things had to be announced, Mm -hmm. the rankings, the updated points, all of that stuff. But now that we have it all in front of us should make for a, a very interesting season. I am probably most curious just to see if the PDGA updates it. Uh, their their ranking system at all like if they do make it an average between the majors or something like that it, it's it, it's not the most criminal thing the way it is it has pros and cons well, over the UDISC rankings wait. but if it's going to be our ranking system for the year i would like for it to be Here, close to perfect here's the other thing does it reset year by year I didn't even think about that yeah i think the world rankings from the last year will roll into yes yeah, so that but then like when the numbers come in, are they going to go on to their averages from last year? Or is it just this year's averages? Because then it'll be just like, you're going to be ranked basically where you finished in the first event. Uh, yeah. I mean, that might happen for the first event. I don't, I know, saying, I don't we, know what their solution is. If that is was the that. case, then we wouldn't have accurate rankings until like, I don't know what their solution is. Maybe that's why it's going to take a little bit to update. Yeah. Maybe it won't update till after the that's first true. I didn't even think about that. In that case, they can't really update until there's like quite a few events under the belt. And that's fine. That's fine. Maybe it should almost be like, the past 12 months. That's, so like, that's what it should be. I don't know if that's what it is. That's what it should I be. I read through it, and honestly, that question didn't even cross my so mind. one drops, one because adds. Because then, like, one drops, one adds. The only thing that'll be weird is, like, there's going to be a period... No, there won't be. Well, there'll be a period where Worlds would drop before Worlds happened some years, because it's not always no. the exact same weekend. That's... F- but you can, like, make a clause for majors. Yeah. But regardless, that would be, like, Las Vegas happens, so Las Vegas from... Or maybe you just do that, because it's the same tour event. It just subs in and out. Yeah, it just subs in Something and out. Something like First that. First pro tour event. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Like, if they if they just drop everything, it's going to be like, you're going to have the weirdest world rankings ever. Yeah, so maybe that's why it's not an update after every event. Maybe that's why they put it that way, is so that you get some data in. Because mm. it, it's going to... Because by the end of the year, it should be just about the previous season. Right, right. But at the beginning of the year, yeah, that's kind of kind of a weird thing. It's like the like college basketball you know, or any other college rankings. Well, the even preseason it, rankings factor in. Yeah, so they're using precedent from last year. Yeah, so yeah. that way, by this point in the season, it's fully just this season. But right. when you start, you at least have a top 25 that's, like, coherent right. and makes sense versus, right. like, a team loses the first week and they're immediately like, oh, you have... Like, sorry, Duke lost to Kansas, but yeah. they're not ranked in the top 25. <laughs> so, well, like, but, like, then you might have... Because the first few games of basketball season... Uh, are like nobodies and stuff yeah a lot of times well, sometimes playing, sometimes, sometimes they're, they're playing the big, big opposite yeah sure, but uh, some a lot of the tour or a lot of the schedule is super weak right and so you might have like belmont beat a big name school and it's like oh belmont's number, number three three in the country <laughs> but this way that way it does that so hopefully for the pga that you're able to do the same thing and just kind of like factor it as it they goes can just use our rankings as I wouldn't pre- suggest as their that. president <laughs> i wouldn't suggest that why they're accurate i mean they're accurate to us <laughs> statistically proven <laughs> i didn't use much stats i use my gut yeah same <laughs> well that's because they're predictions though yeah no yeah they're like mind. what what this upcoming they season rankings. Don't they're just our twisted. guts yeah uh and speaking of guts college disc golf last thing to talk about <laughs> wow that was nice <laughs> uh, thank you thank you nobody's gonna get it but no but we got it it's <laughs> okay. all right uh so at least like it looks like there wasn't any qualifiers this past weekend two qualifiers coming up this weekend not many teams are involved in these two but the battle of the how do you say bayou B-A-Y-O-W. The Bayou. I think that's B-A-Y-O-U. Bayou? The Bayou. I didn't know. It was a New Orleans word. I don't know. The Bayou Bengals? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But so the battle of the Bayou is going down. Florida State and LSU seem to be the only two teams there facing off. And then we have Kentucky and Eastern Mennonite will face off at the EMU qualifier, the Eastern Mennonite qualifier. I'm not sure which one of those teams are or aren't already qualified for nationals. Um, But we're getting down to the nitty gritty. There's basically two or three more weeks of the college national qualifying season and then registration for nationals yeah. and all of that happens. I know there's certain teams going next weekend to the play the nationals courses. Mm, nice. To get a little sneak peek. Yeah, a little sneak peek. That'll be, that's always a good move. I know Clemson's qualifiers coming up. They're always like the, one of the last qualifiers of the year, uh, early March, and that's one of my favorite tournaments every year. 
um and that's like the typically that's like a very well attended event because if you haven't qualified like yet shot. it's one of your last shots and a lot of teams there have already qualified and then a lot of teams there have already qualified but it's like their last chance to like see the main competition because you have like seco early in the year which i don't even know if we heard about this year but seco normally was like one of the most well-attended collegiate events and so that was like your early season preview of like ferris was there clemson was there nc state we went there one year um, so you got to like see basically what nationals is going to be like early in the season and know, okay, at Sika, we were X amount of strokes off of whatever team right? and then prepare throughout the year. That didn't work out for us. Well, no, cause we showed up and won and then got murder, overconfident and we're like, oh dude, it's the same course as nationals. So we're going to dominate. We and then like we showed up and got strokes. steamrolled. Um, but normally you have Seco and then the end of the year tournament is the Clemson. So those are like your bookend tournaments to kind of get a good feel, but yeah, we'll definitely keep you posted on some college disc golf as the the season wraps up and we head into nationals. But uh, that's going to wrap it up. Like I said, check out our Discord if you're going to be watching live disc golf and you want to pop in the live tournament chat. Also, be sure to tune in to our uh, Las Vegas Challenge preview. Super excited to be doing that. That'll be happening on Wednesday. Not sure if it's going to be live or if we're just going to post it. Um, like if we're going to live stream it or just post it either way you'll be able to just watch it after because we're not going to be like it's not gonna be a live show where we're just talking to the comments and if you miss it you miss it it's going to be just more of like where we might go live while we do it um but yeah a lot we're going to go with more some like in-depth stats stuff like that just look strictly at the tournament for 30 45 minutes uh just kind of let it flow so that way you can get all the updated stories right before the tournament so if anything happens at the press conference anything like that you can get all that stories and uh, know exactly what to look for going into the weekend. And then we'll be back here Monday to talk about everything that did happen and uh, whether we looked stupid or not with our predictions. Heck yeah. So it should be a good time. We'll talk to you all on Wednesday.